Thank you for downloading Tube Flash Tales, original flash fiction inspired by London Underground and vintage and contemporary brooches. If you want to find out more, visit the Tube Flash website, but not before you've listened to this set of Tube Flash Tales. Please listen for further announcements. Pinner Heartbreaker by Rebecca Johnston Sewing down the straight edge to the point was the easy part, then a pause with the needle, holding the fabric to lift and swivel before continuing up the other side. Getting the curved edges right was another matter, almost impossible. The double layer of fabric had to be manoeuvred gently, gradually, as the needle raged forward, biting into the soft, pliable pile, as each pin was removed just in time. It had to be perfect, of course a seamless symmetrical curve over the mountain summit, two peaks beating as one. She pressed the seams together, the iron burning into every stitch, right side and wrong. Some might have called it love, others revenge, others still obsession. Sliding the plastic gloves over her fingers to avoid staining, she'd stuffed the fabric heart with the dripping organ it had been designed for, glad to have chosen black velvet not red. It was a tight fit, the very nature of the beast slippery and unctuous, ready to slide away, but the seams were double-stitched and secure. She had made sure of it, and measured the required dimensions precisely against the organ itself, amusing herself with the knowledge it was not heart-shaped at all. Card shops had a lot to answer for. Almost done, she selected a large safety pin from her sewing box, piercing the back of the finished brooch through the velvet and the heart as one. As a finishing touch, she stabbed a few pins through the front, the fancy ones with the red bead heads. When he had told her what he had done, it had come as a shock, but not as much of a shock as the one she had given him. She would wear his heart on her sleeve, always. Shepherd's Bush The Seventh Challenge by Christian Coupland He is met at the station by a bustle of worried-looking officials. Men in suits wring his hand, pat his back, dance around him in an anxious circle. Thank goodness you're here, they say. It's just been sighted again. I've got a car waiting for you. Do you have everything you need? He nods, swallows. He hates the city. The way the smell of it invades his nostrils. The way it's always loud. He sits in the back of the car and checks over his kit as they roll through the rush hour streets. Six times national shearing champion. His tools are always razor sharp. He is always ready. It's in there, say the officials as he unfolds from the car. They point, quaking to a copse of trees in the corner of the square of Parkland. It's dark within, but he can see something lurking. A pair of yellow, slotted eyes peer out. He spent ages examining the pictures they sent him. Blurry and dim though they were. It's a sheep, 
certainly, but one that hasn't been sheared in generations. An urban sheep, wild beast, city smog in its wool, engine oil on its skin, huge as a minotaur. Hard to believe something that big could have gone unnoticed for so long. But stranger things have happened. The left-behind sheep, they call it. The wild bleater. The monster of shepherd's bush green. He grips his shears. The officials are watching, holding their breath. From the copse of trees comes a bleat as low and sinister as a growl. Six times national shearing champion, he reminds himself. Never yet defeated. I'm not about to be now. He edges forwards, takes a deep breath, steps into the dark. Canada Water Call of the Wild by Louise Ells Madness, perhaps, to rent a flat site unseen, though it couldn't be all that uncommon. Aberdeenshire was too far for her to have come down flat hunting at weekends. Madness, for sure, to rent one she couldn't afford on her salary. More than a lifetime of beans on toast. It would demand a second job. A view of the freshwater lake in the heart of the city. But worth it she whispered as she crammed into the tube, changed lines and changed again. And the name? It was the name that she'd fallen in love with. Canada Water. The summer she was ten. Her parents, about to divorce, hadn't any idea what to do with her, so sent her off to summer camp in the middle of nowhere, Ontario. She'd wanted to be angry, but it had taken her all of a day to fall in love. Sailing, canoeing, windsurfing, meals cooked over a campfire, eaten outdoors, beavers, moose and once a bear. But it was the swimming she'd loved the most, the feel of the water against her skin, warm and soft and utterly unlike the North Sea. A view of the freshwater lake. Already she could smell the balsam and blue spruce, feel the sun on her shoulders, hear chattering squirrels, she had a brand new swimsuit for the day, planned to skinny dip at night, slipping into the lake under cover of some nocturnal animal's mating song. And here she was. She took a deep breath and picked up her bags, walked through the station's light-filled exit to her new home. Had she realised then that would be her last moment of hope, of true excitement, for so many months, she would have walked more slowly, savoured more deeply the childhood memories fueling her mad fantasy. Charing Cross Three Stops to Greenwich by Benjamin Judge each time she passes through the station, the same flow of thoughts. That film. The character saying that it was three stops from Charing Cross to Greenwich. Mike letting it bother him. 
Mike showing her the map in the back of his diary. Her not caring. Them arguing anyway. But today she isn't passing through. Today, Charing Cross is her destination. As the train slows, her thoughts slip away from her. She steps onto the platform, moves up, out, past the chain stores and coffee shops, onto the Strand, Duncannon, Adelaide, round and back. She is searching for a pop-up a friend told her about the night before that sells seedlings of spruce and pine in decorative pots. The profits help children, or build hospitals, or both, in Africa, maybe. Wine blurs the detail. She finds it on Bedford Street. Barely a shop at all. A pair of trestle tables, a till, a guy wearing a handmade name tag. She buys a Korean fur in a yellow and orange striped tub. She gives it a name. It won't be ready for baubles this December or the next. But each year it will be taller, stronger, more prepared for the weight of Christmas. Did you know people could die on Christmas morning? Of course you did. It's obvious, isn't it? It's just not something you think about until it happens. Death of a Pelican in St. James's Park by Lucy Dernine I would recommend your sign be more firm. Please do not feed implies the action to be optional. A sans-serif font would be considerably more off-putting. There have been pelicans here on the lake since 1664, a gift from the Russian ambassador. In South Australia, a woman named Judy communicated with pelicans as a way to heal lung disease. I learnt of her via text, picked up at Adelaide International Airport. The message read, Say hi to the pelican lady. From a man who had shown every sign of being the one. There was sun on the grass and pearl-blue plumes from the Tiffany fountain. Girls on deck chairs settling into their icy beauty. The Canal Trust recommend offering waterfowl more natural treats, such as corn or defrosted peas. Some animals will eat anything. I was curious about the pelican's fussiness. Where would you find frozen peas in the wild? The pelican was separate from the group. I leant over the railings and felt its beak spread my fingers, the snapping cat tongue of its gullet. Do you see how easy it is not to read signs? I am trying to explain it was a gesture of companionship. I am saying that at the moment the official approached, I was thinking of the other side of the world and the pelican lady of Adelaide, envious of her communing with the birds gathered at her knees.
Caledonian Road. And Sons by Sarah Claire Conlon. Whenever I put tiles now, I think of George from the Potworks. George with his thick white beard. George with his big spiky eyebrows. I'm looking at the tiling in Caledonian Road Station and thinking of George. Can't get over the craftsmanship. No way out, no exit signs. The arrow flourish after two Hammersmith. That's where I'm headed. I'm not from round here. And up to see my sister. She lives near Paradise Park. She moved when she married. Far from paradise that turned out to be, she huffed when his nibs walked out a couple of months back. <laughs> it's a prickly issue. Anyway, he's gone now and she wants her kitchen doing. Out with the old. So I've been round measuring up. Bunch of women pile out of the lift and plonk down on the plastic benches. One leans over and throws up. Another wanders across to where I'm standing. What does staffs mean? Is it a station? She asks. Her breath hits me in the face. It smells of something sticky, orange juice, alcohol. The woman wrenches forward again. But just spittle comes out this time in a stringy line from her mouth to the floor. Staffs, I reply. Never heard of it. Not on this line. He's so on the wall here, she points. The train rattles in, but her lot stay put in their tableau as I push against the tide of descending passengers. Staffordshire, I say as the doors close. It's where the tiles were made. George Wollescroft and Sons, Staffs. The woman steps forward and says something I don't catch. She smiles and waves. Maybe it was thank you. Whenever I put up tiles now, I think of George. I think of George. And I think of the woman. You've been listening to a Tube Flash production. Please listen for further announcements. Read by Richard Hodder, Holly Greenwood and Mena Bonsells. If you enjoyed this download, why not visit the Tube Flash website, www.tubeflash.co.uk where you'll find more Underground Tales to download and keep forever entirely free by following the iTunes link.